biggest games. The biggest events. Wow, the crowd is on their feet. The biggest stories. This is what you signed up for, Seth. I thought it was you in the game. Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the ESPN Esports Podcast. I'm Rachel, and I have my co-host with me today, Jacob, on the desk. How are you, Jacob? I'm doing okay. It's been uh, quite the day. I'm getting ready to do a little bit of travel, but also uh, this morning it was very strange and very heartbreaking to wake up to what happened in Las Vegas and uh, kind of be the, the start of my morning. It's not something I don't think anyone, especially a journalist, wants to wake up to and, and see I think we'd be remiss if we didn't send our condolences to the people affected, their family, and MGM Resorts. MGM in particular has been very welcoming to the esports community the last few years as they've hosted Evo every single year, or the last two years rather, at Mandalay Bay and their event center and the surrounding hotels that were affected by this incident. Um, even more so, Las Vegas in general has been very welcoming to esports and they've they've hosted many things, so... Uh, as much as they've been great to us, I think we should be great to them and, and send us our, our thoughts and prayers. And if you can help with any type of relief, uh, definitely do. Uh, if you listen to this podcast and you're able to do so. Um, so yeah, it was, it was pretty heartbreaking this morning. Yeah, for sure. Our hearts go out to all the people affected by this horrendous tragedy. For those who are in the area and want to help out, you can look up your nearest blood bank and donate blood. So today we're going to be talking about League of Legends LCS franchising, and we have a new guest with us today, Ben Fisher, the staff writer at Sports Business Journal. Ben and Jacob have been sort of uh, heading the coverage for franchising and esports across various games. And so, Ben, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and experience in esports journalism. Hey, well, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be on. Uh, to get started, I, I started here uh, going on three years ago covering the Olympics and the endurance beat, and uh, maybe about seven months after I started, they suggested I start paying attention to eSports. So at once, I'm covering something that is extremely legacy-based and established and, and uh, old line, if you will, and then on the other half of my job, I'm covering something that uh, sort of gets developed as we go. So it's two very different things, but I have dove in with both feet into esports and have been following everything closely. So uh, that, that's where I am right now. It's good to have you on because I was actually talking to Jacob about this earlier. A lot of our audience is really young and they might not necessarily understand like what franchising is because they don't follow the MLB or the NFL and don't really have context of what's happening right now with Riot and League of Legends. So actually, I'll throw it to you, Jacob. What exactly is franchising and what does it look like under Riot Games' business model? So I guess even though the word doesn't come up a lot, Overwatch League is also technically franchising. Um, so essentially what it means is you have permanents in the league and you cannot get relegated. That's that's the big talking point that's been around for the last two years, three years, since this discussion came up, 2015, 2014. So uh, you have permanent in the le- permanents in the league. You cannot get kicked out. You also have things like revenue sharing. So um, part of the BAMTech deal will be divvied up to these teams in a revenue sharing format uh the teams also revenue share back to the league at some point and um it's basically like being a long-term partner rather than just participating in the league as they have under the riot model and it's supposed to be slightly similar in the the blizzard overwatch league model a little bit more money not as much clarity i guess when it comes to the blizzard model whereas riot has a, a proven product that they're adapting uh into this model 
So that that's the LCS part of it, and essentially, you whatever ten teams get in at this point, you will see them for the foreseeable future, unless someone sells or brand changes. Right, and we're also seeing a lot of big investors come in. More recently, we had Marshawn Lynch, J Lo, A Rod buying into NRG. So Ben, I wanted to ask you, how is money going to change the esports landscape? Well, it, it's, I mean, for starters, even the prospect of money and the idea of franchising just brought so many more people into this world than previously had been. In, until Blizzard and Riot started talking about the permanent locations, there's a lot of intrigue uh, from the more traditional sports business worlds that I cover, but not really that much effort put into what it really was because at the end of the day, they'd say, well, what are we really buying if we buy an esports team? the right to compete to maybe get into a given tournament uh, or maybe be in a season for a year, but that uh, semi-permanent, uh, that guarantee that you're going to be involved in the league four, five, ten years out makes all the difference, and that's brought so much money into the space and attention. And I would say that, um, to answer your question directly, it's just the overall level of professionalism and um, the... Uh, I guess like the Manhattan businessification of esports is, is lack of a better word. It's just uh, it used to be you call an esports team owner and you got him on the phone, you chatted with him freely, and that was that. And now there's PR firms involved. There's there's check back with me. I'm not sure I can say that yet. It's just gotten very, in a span of about a year. Just feels a lot more like traditional sports world because of all that uh, establishment coming in. If you put it that way. It's definitely been, there's been almost this foreshadowing of it, right? You look at last year in the fall, the, a little bit the, before this time last year, you had uh, things like the Sixers coming in and buying Dignitas and Apex. You had Jonas Drevko buying Renegades. You had Liquid being sold to the Axiomatic Group that's Magic Johnson and Peter Guber of the Warriors and Ted Leonsis of the Washington Wizards. Uh, that, that was all in foresight of like knowing that something was going to happen in the space. That's something for a lot of people is LCS franchising. For others, it is Overwatch League. Um, but the, like, it, there's been the discussion of it for a while, and there's been continuous money. I will always say that I think Immortals kind of changed what the mold looked like for finances in, in esports. And let it be known, that Immortals is not making money. That, that company hemorrhages money. But... For League that, of Legends specifically. As a, an entire org, uh, honestly. But that's that's expected. They're a venture capital thing. They want to make returns in the future. And so they have lots of money. You see Immortals continually get investment, right? And just because they're losing money, they are having a lot of money come in as well to kind of patch up the holes and make sure that they're stable. And you never hear any of these orgs, whether it be Immortals or Energy, etc., at least more recently, you've not heard anything about any of them missing payments, which is one of the big bonuses is that there's not these contracts that people will never live up to with players or don't live up to with partners. They're paying what they need to pay, which is a good thing because then you don't have to worry about that as much in the top top esports. used to be a big problem in League of Legends in particular, and now it's really not. So I think that's a, a added bonus. So don't you think that seems a little short-sighted in the grand scheme of things? Because we've heard a lot of reports, even from Reggie himself, who owns TSM, that TSM doesn't make profit off League of Legends. So why are teams so all gun-ho about buying into the franchising system that Riot Games is adopting? So I think the short of that is basically they hope that the franchising system changes things. 
Uh, Riot Games is currently not revenue sharing, aside from like Worlds icons and things like that, and the prize pool share that they do with the World skins. They currently aren't revenue sharing anything. So now they have a broadcast deal in BAM, which is rather expensive, and then they also are hoping to make other other advances in terms of merchandising and things like that, and sales, advertising rights, etc., which will be shared with the league and the teams and the players among that pool. So that's they're hoping to be profitable in that way, and I don't think it happens immediately, even though those terms are going to be there up front in the case of the LCS, but I do think it will happen eventually. All right, so Ben, I wanted to ask you, what kind of owners are you expecting to get a spot in the LCS? Well, as far as I can tell, it's not going to be um, – Jacob can tell me if uh, he's got different reporting on this, but my <laughs> sense of things is that they're they're not – eager to completely upend the LCS, that by and large the 10 teams next year are going to have a lot of teams in common with the 10 teams this year, and that as many, even though there's been talk of scores or even more than 100 applicants for these spots, the, the spots for totally new entrants into the LCS are, are pretty limited. I hear, what, maybe, maybe three on the high end? Maybe uh, four is probably too high? I don't know, but I guess it, it maybe not it wouldn't change things as much as it might seem to on the top of uh, at first glance. And I think that brings me around to another point I was going to make about all this money going in and sort of the venture capital nature of this, that people see the potential for a lot of money, but the ones that actually make this work is going to be a smaller group than it might appear. Um, just like in tech venture capital, everyone places a bet, but the people who actually come away with a real return is a very small percentage of the overall world. And that, that, that can influence behavior too around this time, uh, time in the cycle. Completely agree with that, by the way. Like, I think that even if you look at the current 10 LCS teams, all of them have some sort of wealth. Like, even on the lower end of wealth, there's still, like, movie producers and things like that are, that are invested. So, honestly, like, there are some that are going to do a lot better than others. If I had to predict, like, the ones that have already done very well, you look at Cloud9 and Liquid, and they're, they're fairly – they're not both profitable, but they're both very stable – um, they're good esports organizations. Liquid, to me, is a very good example of what you should do if you're building an esports brand in terms of marketing and merchandise. Like they've done a lot, and a lot of that is in-house. So a lot of that is from hiring people who are esports endemic. But now they have the finances to kind of enhance that with the type of investment they've got. Then Cloud Nine is very similar. Uh, Jack from Cloud Nine, who founded Cloud Nine, is formerly of TSM, which makes a lot of sense because TSM is. I also a big that. brand, right? Mm-hmm. He, you know, TSM is a very big brand, and he was he was running kind of the business side of things while Reggie was still a player. So, um, and he's still very involved in helping Reginald as, as a friend and a mentor in terms of advice. So, I, I certainly think that those three teams, specifically Cloud Nine and Liquid, those two, um, will do a little bit better than everyone else, and they have done better than everybody else traditionally. Uh, but I think that franchising will also increase the performance, the professionalism, and, and kind of these other third-party parts aside from play for your other teams as well and your newer teams and also just some of the teams that have never really gotten up to that point, like your Dignitas, if they are to return, which we don't know. We don't know yet who is going to be among this list of 10. So, Right, and it currently feels like Riot's really trying to test two things at once. First, it's testing to see if franchising works in North America and second, it's testing to see if geolocation works in the EU LCS. And I'm sensing a bit of inspiration from the Overwatch League. Um, do you think this is the right move? Like, what are your overall impressions? 
think that EU LCS, you're able to gamble on it a little bit more. My first impressions are I don't necessarily like the model because I think it hurts uh, it hurts online viewership significantly by splitting it into four streams or splitting it into four different events. Four different regions as well. Yeah, right. And um, I think it hurts online viewership. I think it increases in-person viewership and because of the, the geo part of it. And I think that Europe is more equipped to do geolocation right now when it comes to esports rather than North America. I think that North America is wildly over-exaggerated in terms of this being a very location-based thing. I don't think that's necessarily too true. I think that online viewership will always be king in North America, as it is for traditional sports, uh, to be clear. And I think that will continue to happen. But in Europe, I think in-person viewership will increase because you can go see an event in London, Barcelona, Paris, or Berlin. So that that's intriguing. I mean, I, I think you can take the gamble in Europe. Okay, and Ben, this is one question I wanted to ask you earlier on, but what were your overall impressions with what Blizzard did with non-endemic team owners for the Overwatch League? Like, we had people like Kraft buying in. Well, it was weird when it first started developing because asking natural questions like, well, have they ever run an esports team before? Do they own anything in esports? Uh, are they starting truly from a flat-footed na- nature here, or have they done a deal that we're not aware of? So it all seemed very odd but I guess it came out, right? it developed that they really are buying in some, on something of an idea, and that goes on both sides of the deal, a sense that hey, we've got a major entertainment company and a major sports company come together, a uh, little bit of goodwill on each side, and we're going to make something great. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's less unusual than it was to me when they first came in, uh, but clearly Blizzard's been looking for people with that pedigree. It's not just anybody in sports business. It's a, it's a craft that uh, you know has obviously won lots of events on the field and is by all accounts financially stable. So I, I think they're building it together, and that's just um, it's, it's not how things are typically done in the sports world, to have nothing on a piece of paper and say we're just going to jump in with both feet and, and work on it together. Uh, I, who knows whether it makes sense or not, but it's uh, it's been very different, and um, people have been watching closely on my side of the world. And from the teams that we've reported on so far, who do you think, this this might just be up to speculation, but who do you think is will have the best grasp of how esports work, or will have the best handle of how to create a functioning team in the league? Hmm... Well, I don't know if it's, I don't think that's exactly what you asked, but um, I I just feel like the 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 Cloud Nines, the Immortals, the the Energies, the ones that are already in this, just have such a leg up. I mean, maybe they don't have the connections and the money that that a Craft does or a Wilpon does, but it just at this point seems to be such an advantage to know the world and not have to get educated because I had to get educated on this to write about it and. You know, I just felt like I was behind for two months, and I'm not sure the Overwatch League has the opportunity to feel like you're behind for two months until you get caught up. Um, in their defense, they've been working on it full-time for a while now, but I, that just strikes me as a major advantage, and it's hard to say if whether of the newcomers, the, the true newcomers, whether any of them has an advantage over the others. I think that comes down to their connections and who are they getting to teach them quickly. And who do they have? Uh, who are the experts they put in charge? And Jacob might know better than me. If he thinks that there's someone out there that stands out, I would certainly defer to his expertise on that. Jacob, we defer to your expertise on that. I think there's only one, <laughs> uh, honestly, out of all the non-endemic buyers. I think you're right in saying that people like Envy, Optic, Energy, Cloud9, Immortals, they all are very, very educated on this space. 
some of them not super educated on Overwatch, but that's not hard to find, especially if you know esports. You can you know who to hire to make that work. Um, I think the only not endemic I would give credit to uh, up front is Kevin Chow and uh, KSV. I think that they were very quick to sign that Lunatic High team. They realized what they were getting themselves into, and I think it really comes down now to just consistent management because they bought the best, one of the best rosters in Overwatch by a very long mile, and they're bringing them to a primarily North American based, uh, North American based league. And I think that they will see at least in-game success. And I think that they they come from a video game and tech environment in Silicon Valley in San Francisco. So I think that they have a little bit of a leg up because they understand tech. They signed a good team, and they know gaming at, at least a little bit. So I, th- I would give them a little bit of credit, but I mostly agree with Ben's point that it's uh, the endemics have a significant leg up. And I think that's why everyone had to create new brands was a big part of it is to level a playing field uh, because you can't have brands that are bigger than your league. That is not a good thing. All right, more ESPN esports in a moment, but first we'd like to hear from you. Whether you're new to the podcast or have been listening for some time, we'd like to know how we're doing. So leave us a rating and a review. And if you like what you hear, make sure you're subscribed so we're easy to find next time. And if you subscribe in the ESPN app, we can send you an alert whenever we have a new episode. And you can always tweet us your thoughts at ESPN underscore esports, at Rachel Youngu, at Jacob N. Wolf, and at Ben Fisher SBJ. And we're back with the ESPN Esports podcast. One question I had to ask is, for me, the issue I have with franchising is games don't last forever. League of Legends has been around for a while, and that's just the nature of esports. Games come and go like the seasons. And I think Riot understands that. And I think that they understand that they have to make as much money as possible right now, which makes me concerned that they're probably not looking at the bigger picture or long-term effect that franchising will have. So I mostly agree with you, in the, but I will say that League of Legends has lasted the test of time. I would say that games normally last three years or less in terms of their popularity, and that's why it's really hard to bet on a game as an eSport uh, most of the time. Like, you look at things like PUBG, right? Like, it's almost up there with League of Legends in terms of popularity at the moment, but will it last more than a year? Hard to guess. Um, but League of Legends has done that, and I think that that... Your argument is what makes people want to be in Overwatch more than League of Legends is that, oh, maybe League of Legends is dated. Maybe Overwatch is, you know, it's a new property. It can still grow. In my opinion, Overwatch has not lasted the test of time, and it's faltering, which is, like, not a good thing. I don't necessarily... I completely disagree. I think with the new spectator mode, competitive Overwatch is going to be really fun to watch. Well, I'm I not think... just talking about, like, competitive Overwatch. Like, I'm talking about the game in general. Like, there's definitely been a change in pace from, like, last year, 2016, when the game came out. The 2017 and how many people in the mainstream are interested in it and it's declined if you look at like korea uh korean south korean pc bongs like the, there's definitely been a decline in player base too and so i think that in that regard um i'm more skeptical about overwatch lasting than league of legends and i think that riot has done what many developers wish they could in the sense of continually I won't say improving. That's a, that's a very strange word considering League of Legends falters as a competitive game. Uh, but certainly has them, them continually patching and working on the game and making something new in the game every single year with their off-season changes um, in-game, I think that that has made the game kind of retain its popularity. All right, so Ben, as someone who has 
infinite knowledge in traditional sports. What are your thoughts on Riot Games applying a very, I guess, like traditional franchising model to esports, something that's a little more unpredictable long term? Well, I think it's it's smart for now because the traditional sports investors know exactly what they're getting into. The more you can make it look like basketball, baseball, football, and hockey and soccer. Well, soccer's MLS is a little bit of an oddball there. But uh, the more you can make it look like that, the better. So the moment they understood that this was a quasi-permanent right to compete in the league, they, they started taking a look at it more closely. Um, my sense of things about the permanence of the game is that um, I don't know much about exactly the nature of this, but people I've spoken to who are looking at these deals say that Riot has made some made some promises about, you know, continuing to have an open mind about the relationship going forward and that should should something should should the popularity of the game fall off a cliff that, you know, they would approach it together. Um you know, that's that's whispers here and there. I don't know if that's anything firm on paper, but they've gotten past that point of concern with their potential investors. Everybody wants in and thinks, well, we'll take a sure thing now with risk three or four down, years down the road than, than, than nothing. We think we, I, I think that the, the uncertainty is baked in on, on the traditional sports investor side of the table. They know it's a chance, but they're willing to take that if they've got faith in Riot. So I got to ask, like, is this business model sustainable? Like having these million dollar buy-ins for the league, when are teams going to see returns? Or will they even see returns? Ooh, from well, a tech perspective. Jacob, you had, yeah. wasn't there some wasn't there some documents with the Overwatch League that you know we're looking on making our money back by like twenty one? Yep, that was the original. Yeah. We we were uh, they were talking about not rev sharing until twenty twenty one. I think that's God. changed to incentivize. Uh, from what I understand, that's one of the deal terms that got pushed up a little bit more. But that's only if they meet certain goals too, which I like. They have to meet certain goals internally before they rev share. So um, in theory, they could never meet the goals, and nobody ever gets money. But uh, I think that that so that there's a really interesting way that tech works. And I think what I love about esports and what's happened this year is it's a good merger of traditional sports and how traditional sports works with this type of business, and also tech. Like this is very much like. Things like Series A's and Series B's and all these financing rounds, those don't happen in traditional sports. There's only one team that's publicly owned, and that's the Green Bay Packers. Everybody else is, you know, maybe they're owned by a publicly owned corporation, but the team itself is not publicly owned. Can't say that for esports. A lot of people are doing financing rounds just like they're tech companies because they are tech companies. So, therefore, there's a way that you do value in tech, and if you are a startup, it might be a good idea in your seed to take a lower amount so therefore you have more to sell later and therefore you sell at a higher value. So I think Riot could have asked for $40 million and gotten almost as many applicants that they really wanted to because League of Legends is a proven game. People want to be in it. Like I think they would have gotten very similar amount of applicants. I don't think that would have deterred anyone. However, you are Blizzard. Asking for $20 million is really high and that like if it works off, maybe you ask for $80 million next year, right, when they expand. But if it doesn't work out... You've kind of doomed yourself because you asked for a lot of money up front. Okay, and so that's why wouldn't good. Rye ask for $40 million? Like, what's stopping them? Because I think they want to be able to do the, ask for more later. So if asking for a little now, if you expand, you become a 12- or 14-team league, then you can ask for the boat. You know, right now, ask for the, the sailboat, and then later ask for the yacht. So, and, uh, you yeah. know, I'm sorry, Jake, go ahead. No, 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 go for it. Oh. 
Well, I was going to say is that, you know, I don't know how much of this is, is spin versus reality, but I certainly heard a lot of talk on Riot's side that they didn't want to get into a bidding war. They wanted to make sure that somebody had the basic financial wherewithal to play at this level. But beyond that, they really wanted the decision-making process to be about capacity to add to the league and expertise and, and operational stability and not just go after who can write the biggest check. So by writing a, creating a relatively low floor, they, they facilitated that conversation more than, more than uh, just aiming for the stars would have. I think both of your expl- our explanations can be right, but that was a talking point I heard a lot during that time frame in the spring. I think that you're right, right? Like the Overwatch League is very focused on the finances, whereas, and therefore we got some owners that I don't necessarily trust everyone in the Overwatch League to build wonderful franchises that are huge and that get all these social media followings. I think Riot cares a l- I've seen the application. I can tell you Riot cares so much more about marketing ability, social media marketing, and your ability to create a brand. And that's why I think uh, prospective owners, there are a few of them that own sports teams, that's a very intriguing endeavor because they've already done it once. Like, they know what they're doing, especially basketball teams, because they're really good on social media. They're kind of ahead of the curve, right, when it comes to marketing. That's the one sport the NBA and its affiliates are really good at that. So I I think that you're right. I think that everyone, all 100-plus applicants could pay $10 million. So it's not about the money. It's about who is the best out of people who have the money. Whereas the Overwatch League was, you got $20 million, come join us. And that's what I was getting at when I had said that, uh, you know, there's a sense of partnership or would-be partnership among the people that are investing or want to invest and get one of those franchise spots in LCS. When I said, you know, a sense of confidence in Riot, that Riot seems to be sincerely interested in what are you bringing to the table? What can we learn from you? We would very much like to get 10 teams that not only are going to compete and put butts in the seats figuratively or, or digitally or literally, um, but who can actually help us up our game? Whereas Activision Blizzard's promotion, management, marketing seems to be much more top-down. Hmm. Fair. I don't know if I agree with that. I feel like long... I mean, I'm just looking at it from a very removed business standpoint. I just think it's a bad business decision to base your choices off who is going to quote-unquote better your league, whatever that means. I mean, I think it's just, like, Riot wants to grow the league from here, right? They don't want this to be the peak of the LCS in North America. So Right, but I feel like that's also not looking long-term. Because maybe I'm just being cynical, but I just don't think that League of Legends is forever. And I don't think it w- is either, but I think that there's probably uh, confidence in Riot that if League of Legends dies, then if they create another game, that these people are first at the table, too. I mean, I think- are they creating another game, though? I feel like they have all their eggs in one basket. I don't think that's right. I don't think that they are super far into creating another game, but I think that Riot has a lot of prototypes that we will probably never see the light of day because they're just <laughs> sitting there. And maybe one of those, like, maybe they just come around a revolutionary revolutionary game design like they did with League the first time. It, you know, like, it, it was based off other MOBAs, but it certainly was very different than others. And it, it caught a user base kind of unexpectedly, right? Like, Riot was kind of just like a, a shoehole company that eventually like now is a behemoth and yep. and is owned Very by true. a giant company in Tencent with a lot of money um so i think that uh with blizzard in their case i think that that's also part of the the deal is um if you are in our overwatch league then you have first dibs on something else too i i do agree with your point that 
Blizzard made it pretty much impossible for a lot of endemic over, Overwatch. I mean, a lot of endemic esports teams to survive in their Overwatch League. Um, although I will say that they are missing out if they don't get their best talent from Korea, aka Runaway and GC Busan, who are unsigned, all <laughs> rosters. Just FYI, throwing that out there. Um, yep. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that. Blizzard not only alienated endemic esports teams, I think they alienated some investors as well. For sure. Um, any last thoughts, Ben, Jacob? Well, I guess my last thought is a question, so I hate to make this go another 10 minutes. But <laughs> I uh, I think to me one of the big questions is about Overwatch's popularity and whether people are watching, whether it's on an up, upswing or a downswing right now, is how much do, do you think as, as serious gamers – do you think that marketing can make a difference? No. Um, I, the story, the storyline I hear is, hey, we haven't even begun to market this, so let's see how those viewership numbers do after we really unleash the full potential of the American sports marketing industry on this game. You're going to hear very two different answers from me and Jacob because I am a huge Overwatch fan, and he is a more he's looking at this more realistically than I am. <laughs> but I think the Overwatch League will do great. I think the fact that they have Owners like Kevin Shu buying in and buying Lunatic High. People are fans of Lunatic High and they will follow them. And hopefully that trend continues in America. Um, otherwise, that that's my main selling. Yep, that's my main selling point. Lunatic High, follow them. They're the I, Patriots of the Overwatch League, but wonderful. better. Even though the Patriots are in the Overwatch League, but okay, Rachel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, yes. <laughs> Uh, so my, my thing is, I think that it will certainly grow. Uh, my question isn't that it will grow. It's how much will it grow? Right. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious to see from the marketing perspective, how much they do and how much they're able to catch on. It's very, very dependent though on their spectating mode. And I made the joke over the weekend, uh, Alkmeister, who is a, very well-known, uh, long-time observer and producer in Counter-Strike, took a job at the Overwatch League, and he used to freelance for E-League and DreamHack and others, MLG. Uh, so now he is full-time at Blizzard. I think that's a step in the right direction. The guy, like, has literally sent Blizzard mock-ups, which I've seen. He sent Blizzard mock-ups of, here's what your UI should look like, because it's crap currently. And it's not that bad. Come on. I it, watch Apex. It's, it's really not it's that pretty, bad. It's pretty bad. He actually did an interview with Thorin that I would recommend anyone wanting to learn about Overwatch League and spectating should learn uh, because some some people really don't spectate that game well. And it doesn't necessarily make it easy on you either. So I think that having him in-house is a good thing because I think he'll be able to teach some of the game developers what they should code. And I think that just generally spectating client means a lot because... Overwatch to me sometimes feels like it's unwatchable. Not all the time, but sometimes. So that's yes, the one thing. Yes, if you just put aside your nausea, it is watchable, Jacob. Uh, yeah, I, I think that it's. Uh, I definitely think that it, it matters uh, how it's consumable before they even before they even market. They got to get that point right. Yeah, I. I mean, I think that if people just put in the effort and just watched it for like five minutes, you get used to it really quickly. And it's really honestly not as bad as what everyone makes it out to be. But that's just my opinion. 
I think they're putting in the effort is going to be the, the tough part because, I mean, the, the sports that are true phenomena in the United States, they have casual fans who almost literally put no effort into it. That's why March <laughs> Madness is so great is that my wife, who's not a basketball fan, can fill out a bracket and turn on the TV at Thursday, on noon on that Thursday and enjoy herself. And if you're asking for a casual fan even five minutes of effort, it's already an uphill battle. That is true. Mm, all right. Well, I think we're at, we're all out of time, but thank you, Ben and Jacob, for joining me today. Hey, thanks for having me. And for more esports content, you can check out ESPN.com slash esports, or you can follow us all on Twitter at Rachel Youngu, at Jacob and Wolf, and at Ben Fisher SBJ. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Esports Podcast.